Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to our midweek Bible study. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. It's a joy to be with you today. Thanks for taking time. I hope this finds you well. It is Wednesday, May 18th. We're continuing in our study of Philippians. Last week, we considered how imitating Christ is an essential part of living the Christian life. And we were reminded how much we have to thank God for in sending his son to die for us. Today, we'll look at how Paul showed his pastoral concern for the Philippians and how following his leadership would make them shine like stars. We'll talk about that and a lot more in just a moment, but right now, let's open with a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have to freely study your word. Lord, thank you for all that have come to listen and to watch today. Lord, I just pray your blessing over them. And I ask that, Lord, we would become better doers of the word and not just hearers. Thank you for all of this. Thank you for Jesus, for his amazing love and grace. In all these things, we say thank you and are humbly honored to be with you today. And all God's people said, amen and amen. There are many things every day that can cause us to be fearful or grumpy or argumentative. For instance, how about the last time someone cut you off in traffic? Here's a couple of opening questions to help us share about our experiences with these kind of emotions. Question number one. When you were in grade school, what was most likely to cause you to be fearful? Would it be the angry voice of your mother or father? Maybe watching late night horror movies? Maybe thunderstorms? How about the neighborhood bully? Maybe having to face your teacher with homework that wasn't finished? Maybe a haunted house in your neighborhood? Or there was something else? What would it be? What was the most likely to cause you to be fearful? For me, definitely the angry voice of my dad or mom. You know, after you've experienced that angry voice, man, I'll tell you what, you just cringe, you know, and it was going to be like bad punishment. You just knew it was coming because of that tone of voice. But there were two other things that caused me to be fearful at the time, too. And they were thunderstorms and having to face my teacher with incomplete work. Ugh, that's all I can say. Ugh. Mm. Question number two. What were you most likely to grumble and argue about when you were in grade school? Would it be that you had to do household chores or what there was to eat, maybe, or having to go to church, maybe having to do homework instead of playing? What about having to watch out for your younger sibling? Or maybe there was something else. What would it have been? Most definitely, I would grumble and argue all the time with my parents over having to do homework. I really wanted to go out and play with my friends, but I wasn't allowed to do that unless I finished my homework. And they checked it to make sure that it was. Our last opening question today. What are you most likely to grumble about today? Oh boy, here it goes. There's a few things, but the one that comes to mind and comes about more regularly than others is when something interferes with my routine. Can any of you relate to that? It could be when a driver does something I don't like or I have an untimely interruption. I guess it boils down to the point that sometimes I'm selfish and that's what really causes me to grumble. Let's get on with the study. In this passage today in Philippians 2, Paul first admonishes the Philippians toward stellar behavior and then goes on to share his plans concerning how he was going to keep in touch with them and their needs. This is a really good example of how Paul had a constant concern for those 
who were his spiritual children. So let's read today's text, Philippians 2, verses 12 to 30, and note the important witness that Christian behavior is to the rest of the world. Starting with verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you, and now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Verse 19. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can cheer me up by telling me how you're getting along. I have no one else like Timothy who genuinely cares about your welfare. All the others care only for themselves and not for what matters to Jesus Christ. But you know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with his father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. I hope to send him to you just as soon as I find out what's going to happen to me here. And I have confidence from the Lord that I myself will come to see you soon. Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, a co-worker, and a fellow soldier. And he was your messenger to help me in my need. I am sending him because he has been longing to see you. And he was very distressed that you heard he was ill. And he certainly was ill. In fact, he almost died. But God had mercy on him and also on me so that I would not have one sorrow after another. So I am all the more anxious to send him back to you, for I know you will be glad to see him, and then I will not be so worried about you. Welcome him in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve, for he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Let's get to some study questions now. Question one, who does Paul sound like in this passage of scripture? Does he sound like your boss? Maybe an army sergeant? Maybe a coach at halftime? How about a parent writing to a child who is away? Maybe he sounds like a preacher to you or perhaps a concerned friend. Who does Paul sound like in this passage? To me, in this passage, Paul sounds like a coach during a halftime game. He's encouraging the Philippians pointing out areas they can improve in, sending them help, and preparing them to continue the good fight. Question two. If a quote-unquote Paul were to look for someone to send to you to look out after your welfare, what qualities would it be most important for that person to have? Would those qualities include maybe humility, perhaps the ability to listen, maybe being non-judgmental? How about having a sense of humor? Perhaps showing real understanding. What qualities would be most important for that person to have? For me, all these qualities would be important. I've had people come into my life that did not reflect those qualities or most of those qualities, and it wasn't a good experience for me. 
but I've also had and have some people in my life who embody all of these qualities. And for that, I am and always will be grateful to the Lord. Number three, verse 12b says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. The question is, what does this mean? What does verse 12b mean? And what is the relationship between salvation and our works? Paul gives a command using a strange and often misunderstood phrase when he said, work hard to show the results of your salvation. This unique remark speaks of ongoing obedience to those already saved. It's crucial to note that Paul is not telling them to work for their salvation. This statement implies a need to live out, in other words, to practice, demonstrate, and exhibit through their actions and attitudes the salvation which believers have in Christ. The concept of deep reverence and fear, well, that addresses worshipful respect for God. And this echoes back to verse 11 and the context of every knee bowing before the Lord. Number four, read verse 13 again. It says, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Here's the question. What is God's responsibility and what is ours for achieving what pleases him? Well, in verse 12, we talked about how the Philippian Christians were to work out their own salvation. The reason for that command is given here in verse 13. God is acting through the lives of these believers. This understanding should lead believers to a deep sense of awe and appreciation. Paul then adds two areas in which God operates in the life of the believer. First, God works in us to desire his good pleasure. This includes the idea of placing desires or leading a believer to serve the Lord. Second, God works in us to do or to work for his good pleasure. God's spirit in the believer gives both the desire and the power to live for the Lord. Work appears as a common theme in this letter. Check out Philippians 1, 6, 2, 12, verse 25, verse 30, also in chapter 2, and then chapter 4, verse 3. Lastly, the idea of what pleases him, as we see in verse 12, it involves obedience according to God's spirit. This is not the legalistic obedience of the law that Paul speaks against in the false teachings of the circumcision group, but rather obedience based on a love for God, based on the spirit living within the believer. Number five, verse 16. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. Here's the question about verse 16. How are the Philippians to hold firmly to the word of life? And was Paul prideful by saying these words in this verse? The Philippians were to hold firmly to the word of the Lord by spreading the truth of the gospel beyond the doors of the church. And to do this, they must be grounded in the truth, refusing to compromise. When Paul saw the church remaining clean and innocent, and holding rightly to the truth as they reached out to a depraved world, he would be so proud that his work among them was not useless. Paul had been the first to bring the gospel to Philippi. The church existed because of his preaching. Paul's boasting was not prideful, as if he had built the church with his own hands. Instead, his boasting would be like that of a parent over a child who has done well. 
Number six, question. What are some of Timothy's qualities that caused Paul to decide to send him to the Philippians? Take a look at verses 19 to 24. And next, how do these qualities compare to what you discussed in question two? I find that there are several qualities in Timothy. First, in verse 19, we find that Timothy is an encourager. Then in verse 20, it shows that he cares deeply about people in the church. And in verse 22, it says he's a good leader, a good preacher and teacher of God's word, and he has a servant's heart. Regarding comparing these qualities to what we discussed in question two, I find they are close, if not identical to those in question two. Number seven, read verse 17a with me. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God. Here's the question. What does Paul mean by this? And what kind of qualities does a person need to have to be willing to suffer and sacrifice for someone else's faith? I believe this refers to the Old Testament practice of pouring a drink offering in worship. You can check it out in Numbers 15 verses 1 to 10 and Numbers 28 verses 1 to 8. After a priest would sacrifice a lamb, ram, or bull, he would pour wine beside the altar. This symbolized the dedication of a person in worship to God. In Paul's life, he felt like his life was being poured out as an act of worship on behalf of those he served. Even if his imprisonment ended in death, he could have joy regarding his life that had been poured out in service to God. At the end of his life, Paul would make a similar statement in 2 Timothy 4.6, which says, As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. The drink offering and death, or end of service, was closely associated. As for the qualities a person needs to have to be willing for such a self-sacrifice, here are two I think are critical and a direct result of spiritual maturity. They are, number one, surrender. And that means to relinquish possession or control to another, to submit to the power, authority, and control of another. And next is self-sacrifice. The next step, the fruit that follows surrendering to God, is sacrifice. Although rights, privileges, pleasures, possessions, expectations, and well-formed plans may not be wrong in and of themselves, we're willing to hold them loosely and even let them go to sacrifice them if emptying ourselves of them will enable us to fulfill God's agenda for our lives. Number eight, read verse 22 again. But you know how Timothy has proved himself. Like a son with his father, he has served with me in preaching the good news. Here's the question. What is the closest you've come to having a spiritual parent? I've had several spiritual parents in my life, and I'm just thankful to God for that. They are Elder George Turton from 1983 to 1986 in our church in Virginia, and Pastor Romy Pell from 1983 until today, still today, and also a current elder and longtime friend of mine, John Domingo, from 1991 till now. Here's another question that I have, though, I want to share with you based on verse 22. What is the closest you've come to having a spiritual child? As for having a spiritual child, I've not been a spiritual mentor for anyone specific in that regard, but I'm grateful that the Lord has allowed and continues to allow me to have influence in people's lives through the ministry that he's called me to do.
Number nine, verse 25 reads, Meanwhile, I thought I should send Epaphroditus back to you. He is a true brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, and he was your messenger to me in my need. Here's the question. Who is Epaphroditus? What is his relationship to Paul? And how does Paul characterize him? Epaphroditus had come from Philippi to Rome, acting as their messenger to deliver a financial gift from the Philippians to Paul and to care for him on behalf of the Philippians. It's possible Epaphroditus may have been an elder in Philippi as well. Philippians 2, 25-30, and also Philippians 4, verse 18. Epaphroditus had come not just to deliver money, but to minister to Paul's spiritual needs. He may have been sent to Rome to remain with Paul indefinitely, ministering to and encouraging him. Like Timothy, he put another's need ahead of his own. Epaphroditus came to serve Paul, but Paul felt it necessary to send him back to Philippi with this letter to assure the Philippians of Paul's well-being after his severe illness. Paul wanted the Philippians to know how highly he regarded Epaphroditus, so he characterized him with three names. Number one, a true brother, meaning fellow believer. Number two, a faithful worker, which means he too was working for God's kingdom. And number three, a courageous soldier, referring to the solidarity among believers who are fighting the same battle. And our last question today, number 10, verses 29 and 30. They read, Welcome him, Epaphroditus, in the Lord's love and with great joy, and give him the honor that people like him deserve. For he risked his life for the work of Christ, and he was at the point of death while doing for me what you couldn't do from far away. Here's the question. Is there any reason to think Epaphroditus would not be welcomed back by the Philippian believers? And why did Paul say Epaphroditus risked his life? While Epaphroditus had not been able to remain in Rome to encourage Paul as the Philippian church had hoped, Paul wanted the believers to welcome him back and give him great honor for what he had done. Paul let the Philippians know that Epaphroditus had not failed in his mission and that he should be given great honor. Epaphroditus had risked his life for the work of Christ by helping Paul on behalf of the Philippian church. Paul needed personal encouragement. The church couldn't give it because they were so far away. But Epaphroditus had taken the responsibility and had risked his life to help Paul in his time of need. Epaphroditus had done his work so well that he could report back to Philippi and bring Paul's letter of thanks and encouragement along with him. Well, let's recap what we've talked about today. We've considered how important it is to shine like stars in our world and to demonstrate the love of God throughout our actions and attitudes. Next time, we're going to study Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 to 21, and we'll focus on what it means to put everything else aside in order to reach the goal of becoming more and more like Christ. Thanks for taking time to join me today. I pray you have a marvelous week. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.